Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to the writer's story. And it is um, July, and I think most of the lower 48 is in the middle of a heat wave. We are hotter than blazes here. And dry. Oh my gosh. The, the ground, usually covered in some kind of foliage, is crispy beneath my feet these days. Uh, well, we did have one big rain in the city. Oh, I'm going to have to say Saturday or Friday or something like that. But we had, but um, it immediately dried up and immediately, <laughs> I don't know what happened to it. Very, very hot. And so I have been trying to get out very early in the morning for my walks and it still is blazing hot. So. Yeah. And I've been, I'd like to say it's really good conditions to work inside, but I have to water so many things right now. So the mornings I spent sometimes like four hours dragging the hose to different apple trees and trying to keep the the cucumbers on life support. I'm oh dear. I'm about ready to let them die. Yeah, uh -oh. we'll see how it all pans out. But tonight we've got a little bit of rain in the air, some thunder. Yep. About. So people might hear the thunder. It's been pretty dramatic. <laughs> so yeah, I started the month at the beach. Um, apparently I and the rest of America got really restless in quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> the beach was not a bad place to isolate, I have to say. It was, for the most part, people were very courteous. We brought our own food, we cooked our own food, we didn't really go out, except to the beach. And it was really nice to be out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely as the house is. Yeah, yeah, we've been, we've been sitting pretty tight, but um, that's all right. I've been doing some good reading and thinking about some new projects and actually getting some things down on paper for a couple new fiction ideas that are exciting. Awesome. And you have been doing some editing. I am still editing and but you know when I get impatient with myself about how long something is taking it's always a really good um, so I brought my computer to the beach and um, with some cockamamie idea that I was actually gonna revise while I was there and I did not I slept I had like a ginormous nap every day I read <laughs> I sat on the beach I spent time with my family um, and I came back feeling really guilty but I realized it was a really good like head clearing experience I always say when you're revising you should have some time that you schedule to put your manuscript away yeah and sort of come back to it with an editor's hat on and so you're not in that like creative rush and you can stand back and say, oh, did this work? So I came back and I started thinking about sending it out. And as I was, as I was looking at the opener, I realized this is way too slow and it's a lot of exposition. And so, yes, I must hack it off. <laughs> so I did. And then I got rid of a couple other problematic scenes that my writing group had been like, eh, we just don't really like this. Um, and tried to take that information and put it in other ways. So I think in the other, in, in the end, it's going to be much stronger. But it was dramatic. So I did the thing where you save it as something else, and then yes. you just 
decimate the draft that you have. <laughs> Say, oh, you have that golden original. <laughs> if I hate what I do, I can always go back, but I'm not, I'm not going to go back. It was a really smart decision. I just, I think what often happens, and I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm just going to analyze this problem. I think what often happens and why they say you should really cut off your first chapter is often for me, the first chapter is feeling around for my story. And I start to make some assumptions about the characters or assert certain things about the characters. Like she doesn't like to eat peppers and she's really into yoga and she's dealing with his anxiety or whatever. And then I continue to write the book. And as I write the book, the character kind of morphs into something else and the peppers become less important. And maybe the anxiety isn't such a huge deal. It's more of a back of the mind. It's not a keeps her from doing stuff or whatever it is that happens. And I never go back and really change the beginning. So I've set up this thing that never gets fulfilled. And I think that's why I always say, don't revise your beginning until you're done. (laughs) Yeah, and Be- I think because you don't know where you're going to end up and you might say you know what I really need to start here or I'm missing a scene of this I need to go back almost yeah. never do you need to go back but you might and then yeah. so yeah. so th- that was just a good yeah. a good lesson like how much I did not miss so. yeah I recently watched a video that um, Michael Arndt put together on uh, representing a talk that he has given regularly. He is the screenwriter of Little Miss Sunshine that won an Oscar. Oh yeah. And he worked for Pixar as well. Anyway, he has this um, just most excellent, rich um, discussion of story structure that he has made publicly available. So I recommend this to anyone listening out there who might be a writer um, because it applies not just to screenwriting though that is where he's coming from but to kind of any story as he calls it sort of the logic of a story and he is quick to say over and over again i'm not proposing that there's a formula for everything but one of the things that i took away from that is that a couple things one that it does often take a draft before you know what your story is what it's kind of about and especially what's at stake And he talks about three different kinds of stakes that um, are at issue in a story. They're the external stakes, like saving the world or something like that, right? Then they're the internal stakes, which are the emotional ones, whatever that looks like with respect to your particular narrative. I have a dog who's all wound up behind here. And then there are, he adds um, sort of unique to his thinking about this is the philosophical stakes, which are really values and the, the place from which your story really gets the meaning, the punch that people take away from it, if it w- works really well. And that's been really helpful to me to think about. I'm at the other end of um, story process right now than you. That is, I am just starting to generate a first draft Mm -hmm. or a new novel. And so I'm thinking about those things again, but I don't know exactly what they are. And I trust that I, or I suspect that I may not know what those are until I'm at the stage that you are with that, with 
with the story that I'm working on until I'm at the stage you are with the story you're working on, where you have a draft and you can kind of look at that and say, like you said, the first part, you know what, this finally, this, this it didn't work. I was setting something up and I, and I went a different direction. It never, it never was sustainable. Something about your characters that yeah. you could translate. Right. And if you're, if your characters are not just wooden stereotypes they you get to know them through the story yeah so so it, it's gonna take a while and you have to give yourself that chance you know i i used to be um a fairly big outliner um i still try to at least make sure that i have enough story for a book before you start writing it yeah because i've been i've been burned too many times where you say oh i've got this great idea and it's like a situation and you write the situation through and then you have no idea where this is going and you sort of stop, you know, and that's like 25 pages, 60 pages, <laughs> the end. Yeah. So I, I try to make sure that I know where I'm going a bit, you know, and it can change. It's not like, you know, it's set in stone, but I'm like, you know, do I have enough? Do I have enough for a book? And do I know, we you know what I'm going to do with this? Um, but after that, I think it's like, I don't, I don't, characters don't come to me fully formed. I feel like after spending time, you start, they start to become way more interesting. You know, just like a friend, if you had to introduce someone that you had just met at a cocktail party, you would have like three facts about them. But after spending, you know, years hanging out with them, you would have way more to say. Yes. And you would have much more nuances about their personality, right? You'd be like, she's afraid of thunder. Or, you, know, you, you don't know any of this stuff when you first meet someone, you know. So I think yeah. that's I think that's super important. And, and I think that can come to you with time. But when I talk to people who go, outlining is for the devil, <laughs> it interferes with my creative process, which is, yeah. you know, to sit down and everything just comes to me. I realize that anyone who doesn't then go through like 20,000 drafts after that process of creative whatever, um, actually probably is outlining and or drafting a bit in their head for a while. And so that's another option, like to take your story on walks with you and to think it through. Yeah. You don't have to write it down, you know, but I think people do think about it. Yeah. And I think it's a different short story versus novel. Again, I think you can do a short story in that sort of pantser circumstance um, manner, whereas a novel, for me anyway, I have to have some kind of, some element of outlining or um, structure in mind, whether it has come after the first draft. And then usually I have to have some of that along the way. Yeah, and I think it's, I mean, I don't think there's any, yeah, I don't think there's any right way to do it, but I do think you do get a bit stuck. Uh, you can get a bit stuck if you don't have a sense of your story arc. And so yeah. you could end up spinning your wheels a lot. But, you know, I, I do think that there's different ways to approach it. And some of it is to write your way through it and then throw out a huge amount. Yeah. And related to that, coming back to something you said about learning, getting to know your characters, sort of like people, you really get to know them when you present them with problems. <laughs> when you throw some trouble at them and see then how they handle it, that, you know, a person's character comes into full uh, flower, I think, when they have to 
manage uh and that is another huge um mistake a lot of first timers make um which is you read their pages and you're like this is beautiful writing everything is going so smoothly yeah yeah and and they're like and 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 you should see their faces when i'm like you need to torture this person and they're like their their faces go ashen they love their characters they don't want anything to happen to them yeah and my thinking was my first the first novel that i wrote and it was everything there were lots of really nice things that happened and my character was really nice is um that you know it's just people want to feel good but i realize as a reader what I enjoy, what's satisfying to me, is seeing a character confront internal obstacles, external obstacles. That's um, it, it. It is oddly not as satisfying when everything is nice for them. It's yeah. called drama. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I, totally I guard. We're talking a little bit more commercial. Yeah, I frequently quote. Um, um, this wonderful, this wonderful um, little illustration of the three-act structure. And they basically say, first act, put your character in a tree. Second act, throw rocks at them. <laughs> Third act, let them back down. And <laughs> Only after throwing some more rocks. More rocks, a lot of rocks. And so, and so and when I tell that to students, I had this one class that was really fun. And, every, and I would say, what's wrong with that? What's going on? Everyone would say, throw more rocks, throw more rocks. It was like we were on some kind of you know, ancient <laughs> ritual or stoning too. people. Kids <laughs> are not getting recorded on Zoom for your, when you go in the political when you become a political candidate, they're going to drag these out as little snippets. <laughs> right. She's like, she was for stoning. <laughs> I think the chance that I run for office is very, very slim, but I am full of admiration for some of the folks that are stepping forward. Yes. Oh, they're very inspiring, very inspiring folks. It's really... Well, speaking of inspiring, I am excited about our guest, whom you know personally, yes or no? Yes, and um, I know her. She came to the Festival of the Book, which is how I basically, I feel like I'm a pimp or something. It's like, or the, or the, or the festival is, and I just scoop them up. I'm like, they bring all these really wonderful people. Yes. And um, I got to hang out with her. I had dinner with her, and um, I just... It was one of those people who's just instantly really feel really warm and connected to mystery author um and she had just i think she had come out with her second book at that moment um but just had a wonderful time with her and then have since um followed her on social media she's incredibly active and i'd love to talk to her a little bit more about that um she's involved with um pitch wars and crime writers of color and her first novel just sort of won everything in mystery so kelly garrett um we're gonna ring her up and chat with her about what she's up to and about how to write during these times of um you know unrest political pandemic and otherwise and how to stay as um 
you know, focused as she is and, and helping so many people. So I'm super excited. Me too. Well, let's call Kelly. Hey, Kelly, thanks for joining us. How are you guys? I'm here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, this is so awesome. Thanks for Thanks for coming to our party here. Um, it's, like, it's like a love fest. Like, I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so, so happy, happy to have you. Um, we, um, all, the way, all the way from New Jersey. New yes. Jersey. We normally take July off because, like, we have plans. Like, we're traveling. We have we have, you guys have lives. Um, but this July, um, I don't feel jealous because basically no one has a life. So we're all in this together. No one. I feel like no one should have a life. So people do. <laughs> people do. People I, do. Me, <laughs> Apparently, I mean, I was, I have to say, a little tempted by the whole work in Barbados for the year. Oh, my friend sent me that. Like, she's like, we well, should do this. <laughs> and then I was like, oh, but you have to get on a plane. A uh, major issue there. <laughs> or a boat. Ew. Yeah. So, um, and I just wanted to give everyone your brief bio. Um, you wrote a book, um, your first mystery, Hollywood Homicide, about a semi-famous, mega-broke black actress, and you won, I mean, you basically won everything, I mean, pretty much. Okay, so you won the Anthony, the Agatha, and the Lefty for Best First Novel. Um, I think you're nominated for a Barry as well. It was one of BookBub's top 100 crime novels of all time, which is really unusual with a first book. Um, and then your second book, um, Hollywood Ending, which continued her adventures, was featured on the Today Show's Best Summer Reads of 2019. Which is a nice surprise. Ah, and then, um, and, and I met you at the Festival of the Book yeah. two years ago? I think, it, yeah, I think it was the one last year, maybe? Yeah. Time flies, not, it doesn't fly at the same time. No, so. no, maybe it was last year. And... You know, and then I started following you on Twitter. So I feel like I know everything about your life. I certainly know what you're... I, over, I overshare. No, no. You share it. You share, you share, I think you share what you want to share. But I, I mean, I know what your niece looks like, who's adorable. <laughs> um, and then I also follow a lot of, you're very, very involved and you're involved in, um, in mentoring and all sorts of stuff. Um, and I know you're a co-founder of Crime Writers of Color. And you serve on Sisters in Crime, um, their national board. Yes. And so definitely in the weeds with a lot of the mystery stuff going on, which has been way, way a lot of stuff this year. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> it's been, it's indeed. And, and then also just up on, you know, what's happening in the publishing community. But, you know, what I wanted to do is first start, because I think your bio just doesn't even really touch this. Tell us about your writing story. How did you become a writer? What did, when did you first decide writing was for you? You know what? I knew when I was about five years old, I wanted to write. And I used to um, start, I used to always have a lot of ideas, which is still true. And I would start them and then I would do a chapter and I would finish, I would not finish it. And I'd go on to another idea and I kept them all. So my mom has like a notebook of my first chapters that I, I should like find it. I'm sure they're horrible. Um, but I always knew, but there was that, there was this fear there. I don't know, like fear of failure, fear of success. I don't know what it was, but it took me, a, I did every type of writing. My career has been about 20 years since college and I've tried, I've been a journalist. I was a TV writer, you know, I did technical writing for a couple months and hated it. Now I do communication. So I was doing every type of writing because I was afraid to write a book. And it took like me being at a low point in my life with, um, my career at the time and I finally 
got up enough nerve to start a book and I had an idea I liked which was the idea of someone um, trying to solve a, a crime for reward money and um, and I finally sat down and I wrote it and I realized that I initially had the idea for Hollywood Homicide in 2011 and um, it came out in 2017 so that's kind of I think you know I think a lot of writers have that, you know, especially with that first book. It takes it take a bit, it either takes really quickly to write it or it takes a long time to write it. So mine took a long time. But it sounds like it was percolating. Were you reading a lot of mysteries too? Did you was that the genre that you were drawn especially to as a reader? Yes. When I was I didn't read a lot of Nancy Drew because the Nancy Drew that in the eighties was like this really cool Nancy Drew. Had like the you know, cool the Mustang was super cool and she was going on ski trips and I didn't relate to Nancy Drew you know but I um I started off with like Encyclopedia Brown and um when I was like around 11 I discovered cozy novels like you know Joan Hess um Claire Malloy the Jane Jeffrey series and I discovered cozies and I think that's why I always love cozies it's just that it's mystery but it's it's lighter you know I have an overactive imagination so even now I can't read a lot of really dark stuff child abuse torture rape I can't read that you know but I love mysteries so that's why I think I love lighter mysteries like cozies you know so then when I got older I discovered you know as a teenager Sue Grafton Sarah Boretsky Walter Mosley Barbara Neely uh Valerie Wilson Wesley you know but I always I've that's been the genre I've always loved and I think now I pretty much exclusively just read mystery novels it's also I mean it's also the puzzle cozies often have the puzzle like you have to work something out in order to figure out yeah i i like twist to me i like twisty mysteries you know um i think that's why i but like my favorite sue grafton book is b is for burglar and if you ever read it you just know it has like a really amazing twist at the end and i think to me i there are definitely some mysteries especially um like those like kind of tough guy mysteries that like that you know their ending is always like the tough guy comes in with a, like you know one gun and five bullets and kills 20 people like and those are great too I definitely read those but I'd rather have a twist at the end than a shootout that's yeah. just me maybe you know and so I love a twist and I love I, I like to think that my books have some really good twists and red herrings in them and I think it's because that's what I love from the beginning when I was was reading them like Sue Grafton and I, I wanted a good twist so that's awesome yeah I um I totally I hear where you're coming from I actually am I'm a real wimp. Like, I really don't watch scary movies. Yeah. <laughs> I understand that. And then a lot of the stuff, I think I often will read um, a novel to escape. And so I think it's so hard. Everything is so dark right now. Like, so, yes. someone brought up, like, oh, here's a book. They predicted this whole pandemic. You know, you should read this book. And I'm like, I'm living it. I'm, good. I'm living Thank it. You. Thanks. Thanks. I'm good. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So they all die. Great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I am a wimp. And, um, and also, when I became a mother, I ceased to be able to read any child in danger thing. I think those, and that's, a, it's such a, popular like genres like the missing child books and I personally don't read them a lot it, I think that's hard for me to, to yeah. think of children in pain and hurt and so um so I get that even though I don't have children I, I understand that not being able to read that so um through your journey I I, I just you know I, you did mention um you know obviously several um 
crime writers of color that you enjoyed. But did you feel that when you were writing it, did you feel to yourself there there's a place for this, or were you worried at the at the time that you were gonna be like? I I think that one representation matters. And I was lucky because I was a teenager in the 90s, and that was when they had this really big boon of um, black mystery writers. Like, that's when Walter Mosley came out in 1990, and I can name so many, you know, like Gary Phillips, Gary Anthony Haywood, Barbara Neely, Valerie Wilson-Wesley, Eleanor Taylor-Bland. I can just name so many people that were published then. Yeah. You know, but unfortunately what happened is, with a few exceptions none of those people are, are publishing mystery write, mystery novels today, you know? And I think because I grew up in a time when I saw myself represented on page, I felt, felt like I could do it, you know? And I don't know if I was coming um, into my own in like 2000s or the 80s or if I would have been able, so confident that I could write this, write this book, you know? And I was very naive where I thought, oh, well, if there's no cozies with black main characters it must mean no one's writing them you know and I think a lot of people still think that yeah and I kind of I found out pretty quickly that that's not the case because it took a year to sell my book you know and unfortunately publishing has not always been kind to writers of color who don't write issue books who just want to write you know fun beach reads with people of color just happen to have people of color as the one solving the crime for what's not the sassy best friend or you know the cop or something like that and so um you know and I think we're seeing a a boon again now which I'm really excited about but I'm kind of also nervous about a little bit because of what happened in the 90s well what I think what you're saying though is true representation matters and if there's no books for children to read yeah that feature and I that what that's why when you mentioned Nancy Drew I thought that was really interesting because I think when Nancy Drew um was probably at the height, I guess. I mean, she did she start in that was in the twenties that she started. I mean, she was. Maybe, yeah, I feel like it was. But it was a very long thing, and obviously, she was written by a whole, you know, stable <laughs> factory yeah. writers. But I think what she represented for young women was yes. the idea of this independent person, and of course, she right. was rich because that's the only way you could be independent, or else you're, you know, <laughs> you're working. Um, so yeah, she's single and she's rich and she has, you know, this ability to go do stuff. And so I thought, I think that that was really super important for a lot of women. Um, and I, and then I think it's obviously what you're saying. It's like the, without representation, like who are, who's going to be tomorrow's like Latino mystery author? Like who, who are they going to be reading? Do they have anybody that they could read? I mean, obviously, they can read any book they want to, but exactly. just seeing, them, seeing themselves, seeing it's, themselves, it's, it's, and seeing it's us tricky. Towards. And I think, um, obviously, with with men, there's like Alex Segura, um, you know, there's Ed Amar. There are um, men who are writing mysteries. I think there are women I know who are writing mysteries as well, but um, they're not as prevalent. You know, they're not getting the same opportunities that 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 the men are yeah you know and I, I really as, as someone who just loves mysteries period as a reader you know I consider myself almost a reader first and foremost even before a writer like I I want to I want to read those books I want to see a yeah. variety of people yeah. I want to see I wish there were more you know queer cozies with main characters who aren't just the best friends I want to see that and I want to see own voices I want to see queer people writing about themselves yeah. you know and and that's I think is very lacking right now too and I want hopefully that changes so yeah and and I see a lot of 
I see a lot of like um, stuff coming out from agents asking for that. Yes, but I, I think. But I'm not sure if publishers are. Well, that no, I this is what I think, unfortunately, because um, it is a business. I think, and again, this is what scares me is that um, there are. I think a lot of agents are getting publishers and editors asking them, saying, hey, we want a book with a black, you know, a a voices book with a black hair person or an Asian person or, you know, something like that. And so that's making agents who, I can tell you, because I was trying to be on sub, you know, five years ago, a lot of my friends have been trying to be on sub the past five years who were getting no's all of a sudden now are very popular. And again, like I said, I'm very excited about it as a reader, as a person of color, as an advocate. But my thing is, for me personally, I'm always going to be writing black women. Like that's who I, that's me, that's my mother, that's my niece, that's my sister, that's my aunt, that's my best friends. That's the people who I love and I want to see and I want to write and I connect to. But it's kind of like, I was writing it before it was trendy. I'm writing it now that it's trendy. I'll be writing it after it's trendy. And I'm kind of concerned with what does that mean for agents who are jumping on a trend? You know, and one thing I appreciate about my agent, who's Michelle Richter, is she took me on five years ago before it was trendy. Mm-hmm. She mm-hmm. was, the, I was honestly like, it took a year for my book to sell. And I was ready to give up within six months, nine months. And she's the one who kept pushing it, you know? And I think I that's what I want every author of color every marginalized writer to have is to have that agent who is wants them because they believe in them not just because they think you're an easy sell in 20 you know on july blah 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 2020 you're an easy sell versus you know so that's my concern um but i'm excited i think a lot, there's it's cool to be hot it's cool to be um wanted and uh, and I, I i'm gonna have faith and be you know optimistic that this is a long-term status quo not a trend well, and it seems that there are some changes finally happening in the system as well that can lend some of your um, lend some optimism to your hope. That is that yes. agents and also publishers are finally starting to kind of diversify. Exactly. Yes, that's true. a lot of white women. <laughs> yes, I. Uh, that's true, and I think you're right. I think. I've seen, I think the past couple weeks, I've seen like two black women who are now like publishers of major, you know, big five imprints and that, you know, not saying this ever happened, but you know, and, and so I think you're right. And I think that's true. I think if having those people making the decisions are, is, is going to trickle down and, and help the rest of us with our, with our reading list, you know, not just makes sense. Yeah. that's what I feel like too <laughs> but it, it, it took you know it's 2020 it took this long but it, to me oh, it makes yeah. sense well I mean writing publishing is a business but I have to say um as someone who's worked in other businesses like television <laughs> and uh, you know um it was one of the most dysfunctional businesses I'd ever been in when I started and um how do you guys make any money at all? I don't understand. I don't understand. Um, so yeah, every business is very odd. Very odd. Oh, yeah, I worked in television too, and that's definitely a dysfunctional. <laughs> I was on a show called Cold Case for about a, a season, and I was I have a master's degree in screenwriting, and I was in LA for eight years, and so I think that that prepared me for publishing, you know, and kind of a. a my first book, I had the lowest expectations for it. And I think it's because I knew from, you know, Hollywood, it's just like, it's so much about luck and 
so many different factors. It's not just the hardest working person who's going to be the most successful, the most talented person is going to be the most successful, you know? And I think, I think people I know who kind of debuted with me, who didn't have that background, had these very false expectations of what to expect of publishing. And they were, needless to say, they're very disappointed, you know, whereas I, I was a little less disappointed. So there's oh. some things obviously still that disappointed me, some things that surprised me, but, um, yeah, I think it's but good it, to I, have a dose of cynicism. I think so, yeah. But be open, be open yeah. to luck. Yeah, I <laughs> I call it realism. Realism. Yeah. Thank you, Kristen. Yeah. It is yeah. just realistic. Yeah. It's yeah. funny, I was, um, I want to name drop. So I was having a conversation with Walter Mosley, and he, we were talking about how his career, and it's been 30 years since his first Devil in a Blue Dress came out. And even he said that he was lucky, you know, and not to take away because he also was talking about how hard he works for it and he plans for it. But even Walter Mosley admits that there was luck involved in his in his career. You know, he's one of the biggest, best selling, you know, most prolific writers, period. You know, but it comes to crime writing of our time. And for even for him to say that, you know, and I think sometimes people who are d- debuts don't realize that luck plays a part in it. So Yeah, and I think that also I, I mean the thing I always said is it's a it's a long haul. So if it's you put don't put your eggs in one book basket and don't yeah. and don't um you know don't be yeah. either like saying I've I've killed it or I'm I've I'm everything's gone to pieces, you know, you should just <laughs> keep going. Keep going. Keep, keep writing, you know. Keep, keep I think that's the only thing we can control is the writing. That's yeah. the thing is writing. You know? Yeah, what you can control. And that's the only thing. Some pleasure in that. Yeah. I mean, if the only thing you're working for is having your name on the binding of a cover that sits on a shelf, it's it's a, you, you're paying a heavy emotional price if you don't like the writing, doing the writing itself. Yeah. It, stories, yeah. And I, um, because I do work with pitch wars and I've been involved with that, I, I have met a lot of writers at the beginning of their careers before they have their first book deal, before they have their first agent. And I always think, I'm like, you know, if you're miserable and unhappy now, you're going to be miserable and unhappy after the deal too, you know? And I think sometimes they think like getting a deal or getting an agent is like this magic, like, you know, potion to make to happiness. And you're like, no, you're just going to have different worries. If you're stressed about getting a getting an agent, if you're stressed about getting a book deal you're going to be stressed about you know selling the book you're going to be stressed about reviews so you have to figure out a way pretty quickly how to handle that you know and like you said get joy out of the writing part of it yeah yeah no I think that's super speaking of some of the writing part Meredith and I were talking a little bit about um outlining versus just throwing yourself in and seeing where a story goes are you uh are you well, with your screenwriting background, I'm guessing the answer to this, but are you a plotter or a pantser? I'm a super plotter. I think the, the outline for uh, Hollywood ending was 25 pages long. Well, nice. um, the blank page scares me, so I like to have something, and I consider myself a rewriter more than a writer. Uh, and even with the outline, I don't stick to it. I think with both Hollywood ending and Hollywood homicide, and even with this new book that I'm working on, I'll have the third act and I always throw it away when I get to it. And I um, pretty much figure out a new plot for the third act just because now I know the characters and I know what, what she'll do, what she won't do. I, I've made changes based on what's going on to the story, you know? So I'm a, oh. super, I'm a super plotter. Don't you have um, a poster board or something? Did you put stuff on your wall? I ha- so, um, cause the television, we would work on whiteboards 
And so I have a whiteboard that I will figure out the beats of a story. And I just did a breakdown of this book I'm working on now, this work in progress, where of the third act. And I it was wonderful. I had markers and you can erase, you can kind of look back and look at it and kind of just see how it looks. And I, I love it. I, I say try the whiteboard process if you have not already. Yeah. Yeah. No. Um, yeah, I, I started outlining also, I have a screenwriting film background and, um, and I, you know, I think it's always good for me. I, because I would work, you know, and then I had a small child walking away and coming back. It was just a little bit of something to be like, what are we doing next? Right. Cause you couldn't think about it all day long, you know? So you just, and I know like some people are, I know are amazing at, at uh, pantsing and I admire them. I just, that's just not me. And, and both things are valid. You know, I kind of, people always ask for advice, writing advice. And it's so tricky because it's such a personal thing and what works for me not work, might not work for Kristen or what works for Kristen might not work for you, Meredith, you know? So it's kind of, you have to, you have to fit, throw some things on the wall and figure out what method works best for you. And I find that, um, and again, I not, I don't have the same formal screenwriting background as y'all, but I've done a little screenwriting myself. And I find that trying to map out the story in with the beats of a traditional screenplay yes. um, actually inspires me. I get like really excited thinking about, okay, what's, you know, what's going to be the inciting incident? Yeah. What is the, you know, the great, twist the climactic moment what is the all is lost moment what does that look like is actually i find exciting but i think for some people that is i've heard some people say more the pantser folks that that sucks the energy out of it for them. i have i have a friend um vm burns who does a bunch of different series she says that she had to outline for like a something and she said the joy was gone from it you know and i and I think that's a valid thing too. Yeah, it's just good to know if that's how it is. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yep. No, it's true. I also, um, I don't know how, how are your, how are your, when I had to go from screenwriting to novel writing, I would forget to describe things. Horrible at description. And I also <laughs> would forget to say what anyone was thinking because you're not allowed to do that. And so people would be like, um, I kind of feel like this isn't really a scene. <laughs> I'd be like, what do you mean? <laughs> I've written it in a novel form. There are paragraphs. <laughs> There's dialogue. <laughs> I know. Um, I, I'm actually okay with thinking, but I, 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 but honestly, I don't read description. Like I skim it in books and like, if you have like if you're walking to into a room and it takes like three pages i'm like ah skip past i'm gonna get into the room you know so i don't care what color the walls were and you know and there's a spider i don't care um so i have to be very cognizant about putting description into my books because that's just not naturally what i do and even in my books that i have even this new one i don't have a lot it's so funny my mother like read my second book and she's like because she doesn't like description either she's like there wasn't a lot of description i loved it you know and like we're just not we're just not description people so that's okay too you know working for you (laughs) thank you um (laughs) so i I try i try to put some things in so at least you kind of know but um but you know you're not i'm not going to take three pages to walk into a room no no i mean that's the the lesson in screenwriting um that that's how long the camera is going to be there so really do you want to stare at that vase that significant yeah yeah but you know I mean I think it's just always it's always just a learning learning curve so your next your new new book that you're working on completely different from your series yes so um I loved writing a series but it was interesting because 
I don't know how people can be at like 20 books, 25 books, 30 books. Like, you know, Robert B. Parker wrote how many books in Spencer? And I'm in awe of that because I was making the same jokes. I had, I had three books. The third one never got published because of my publisher closed, but I made the same jokes. I was, you know, finding myself struggling with, you know, being repetitive and trying to keep it fresh, you know, but also um, familiar to people who liked reading it, you know? So um, when my publisher closed, I was like, I'm going to write a standalone. You know, at that point I was reading more people like Lori Raider Day, Megan Miranda, uh, you know, I've always read Laura Lippman, but I was reading more of her standalones. And so I was like, I'm going to, you know, write a standalone. And I, I had this idea uh, where there is uh, there's a woman named Lyric McHenry and in August 2018, uh, she's a black woman. She grew up like Hollywood royalty. Her dad, you know, was a well-known producer. She kind of grew up with Magic Johnson's children. And she um, was partying for her birthday in downtown Manhattan. And somehow she ended up dead of a drug overdose in the Bronx. And if you live in New York or know New York, like even though like my like mileage-wise, the Bronx and downtown Manhattan are very close together, just in terms of everything else, they're so far apart. So it was quite, always kind of like, how did this like amazing woman, you know, go from partying it up, living her best life in downtown, you know, Manhattan to the Bronx, unfortunately dead on the side of the road. And, um, and so I kind of, that just, that story just, it kind of got to me and I was, I wanted to write something about it, but I didn't know what it, what the story was and who the person was and she, like, you know, introducing us in this world we were going to be in. And I just remember one day I was walking down the street and I was like, why would she be in the Bronx, and I go, oh, she went to visit her estranged sister, you know, and never made it. And so that's the book. The book is from the point of view of her estranged sister, trying, you know, feeling guilty because they haven't spoken for two years and trying to find out, like, why was my sister two blocks from my house, even though we haven't talked, you know, and and what happened. And so she, the book is a great Thank you. And it's from her point of view of trying to figure out what happens. And of course, she has, you know, some daddy issues and in this world of, you know, because I, I love anything entertainment, so it's still entertainment-based, this world of, you know, music and entertainment that she kind of has a love-hate relationship with because of her family. And um, and so, and it was tricky to kind of get out of that cozy mindset because it's, it's, it's a different style. And of course, my book is still, you know, still very lightweight. It's still, um, it's not like torture, you know, rape or anything like that. But it was fun to do a standalone and to do something that's a bit more, you know, domestic suspense, domestic thriller type of book. So. I remember that story, and they haven't, they've never found? Well, Go they on. they found, they, someone got arrested, but he got arrested for, um, like, basically abandoning the body. And so it sounded like she was maybe, like, in the car with him, and she was maybe overdosing, and they kind of, they mm-hmm. unfortunately, like, threw her out the car, which is horrible, instead of, you know, taking her to get help, which is horrible. You know, so I don't know. I haven't heard any updates about about this the case. Well, yeah, I think he, it, he's like on, on trial yet or anything. Yeah, like but that. I think the other thing too is when you're writing something based on a true story, at some yeah. point to let it go. Yeah, I know for sure. It's nothing. I mean, and if, Lyric, yeah, Lyric McHenry. Like from what I've read, she, she was an amazing person, and and my main character is not an amazing person. She's a mess, you know. So it's definitely it's not anything based on her life at all, besides the fact that solely on her you know yeah fortunately how she passed away and so you know i want to be clear of that i want people to think i'm trying to like write this woman's life no 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 and that's good because i think as soon as you are let it go then you're able to let your imagination yeah 
run for you, and that's that is so important. But that is yes. fascinating. Did you, um, when you were writing it, at any point did you think to yourself, "Oh, I wish I could spend more time with these characters," or did you say, "Oh, a standalone"? That was plenty. I think I like my main character a lot, and I want her to have a happy ending. And so I think I'm okay with the way that I'm, I haven't finished it yet, but the way that I plan to end it, she kind of gets the closure she needs. And so I kind of, I'm cool with her, you know, happily ever after riding off into the sunset and never to be seen (laughs) again, you know, and I, and so, um, although I do, I always say I love series. I work, you know, on television, which is your spend time with main characters. And I love all those series, but I think I'm, I'm okay with her, her, um, being a one and done, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you think you might go back to a series in the future? It would have to be like a story I can't, I can't not write, you know? Um, I, I don't know if I'd ever write a cozy or an amateur detective again, like famous last words, right? But I think maybe <laughs> like I could, I love PI novels just as much as I love cozy. So if I could think of, I had a good idea, well, I don't know if it's good or not, but I had an idea for a, um, a black woman PI. So uh-huh. maybe one day I'll write that, you know, but I think the next one after this one will also be a standalone. So I think for the time being, I might, you know, just write some standalone. Well, you know, I, I saw with Laura Littman in her career, she kind of went back and forth for yes. a long time. I mean, she loved yeah. her character. Her character was clearly yeah. based on her, um, yes, 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 you know, right. journalist in Baltimore. But, you know, I, I don't know. She's she's done pretty well. So I wouldn't, I, I think that's a pretty good uh, career to... <laughs> Laura Lemon is just like a cool person, period. Oh, she you know, is so and, cool. and just like her career is just goals. And I was like talking with someone about that. And, you know, she has, she's on the New York Times bestseller list and she gets nominated for awards. You know, and unfortunately, I think that's that's something that you don't see a lot in crime fiction. Either you're an author who gets nominated for awards or you're an author who sells, you know, really, really well. And so the fact that she kind of is both just shows you like what a powerhouse and a talent that she is. So. Yeah. Yeah, she, um, I think one of my first Bowser cons, I saw her um, and um, Lori King and S.J. Roseanne, and I can't remember, anyway, there was this panel, and they were all, and maybe Megan Abbott, they were all so smart, and it was just like, oh my gosh, just listening to them talk, and they were talking about historic um, crime fiction, too, you know, they were like, you know, talking about Dashiell Hammett and Sherlock Holmes, and it was just like they knew the canon as well. And I was just, yeah. they were just really impressive. Um, so I think it's that's one of the really nice things about when we used to conference. <laughs> that's when we got together. We got when we got together, not on Zoom. That you could <laughs> you could meet really interesting people. Um, yeah. So, what what authors are you super excited about right now as a reader? Um, S.A. Cosby just released his book, Black Talk Wasteland. He's a black uh, crime fiction writer. It's getting so much good buzz. I read that one. I love that one. Um, Rachel Hazel Hall has a new book coming out in September. Now Friday. she's gone. And uh, it's actually a black woman PI. And it's super twisty. And I love that one. Um, trying to think, I've been trying to do a thing where I've been reading a lot of the books I read in the 90s. Um, and then I'll mix it up with like some psychological suspense, some cozies, you know, so I'm trying to like expand. So I've been rereading a lot of books, um, from the nineties. I think right now I'm reading, her name was Carol, I'm going to mess her name up, Carolina, Caroline Aguilera Garcia. 
I don't want to mess her name up, but she um, is a Cuban-American author who wrote a Cuban-American woman PI novel in the 90s, which was really, really good. Uh-huh. Um, the first one's called Bloody Waters, and I think she managed to write a good, like, eight or nine of them. And so I'm rereading Bloody Waters. I want to make sure I get her name right. Um, we had Rachel. Like- we had Rachel on. Oh, you're super cool. Isn't she awesome? Um, oh, yeah. I met her. You guys weren't at the festival the same year. No, I think I was the year after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I met her, and I just, I thought she was so cool. And and she just is so amazing. She's so talented, and she's so nice, and she can, she's one of those people who just balance everything, you know? Like, she has, like, you know, a family and a day job, and she manages to get up early in the morning, and she writes. Like, I, because she's on the West Coast, and if I message uh, Rachel at, like, six or seven my time, she hits me back because she's up writing. You know, she's like goals when it comes to things like that. Yeah, it's super impressive. It was really fun to talk to her. Yeah, her name is Carolina um, Garcia Aguilera. And so. Cool. I've never heard of her. (laughs) Yeah. No, what's interesting is that a lot of these books from the 90s, I think they're getting their rights back and they're uh, re releasing them. Oh, nice. And so you can like go on Kindle. If you have a Kindle or an ebook, you can get them for like $1.99 for the first one. So. Oh, I live. for that. Valerie Wilson Wesley is doing that too. That's another. She's a black woman who had a PI novel in the 90s and she's re-releasing hers and she actually has another series cozy coming out you have this background with um television writing so you were doing like a lot of creative work with others and now with all of the novel writing you've been doing the novels and writing these books for some time but what was that transition like or do you do you miss working with other people in the way that a tv writer does or not I, I'm still very collaborative in terms of I love getting notes from people and I mm-hmm. I take notes. I am, I'm not one, one of those authors who's like, oh, this is so perfect. How dare you give me a note? Like, I want to write the best book possible. And I know that from my experience that, you know, I might be set on something and you might give me an idea, Kristen, that makes me realize that something different or makes something make sense. And so I love notes. So I like that collaborative process. One thing I don't miss from television is that unless it's your show you created or it, even after that it might not be it's not your vision anymore you know it's it's um you're writing someone else's vision because you're working on a show that someone else created or, or they and they're the showrunner the boss of it with my books like everything in my books is my vision you know and even if i take a note i'm still going to take the note in my way yeah you know like every every word you write you read in hollywood homicide or hollywood ending i wrote that <laughs> you know and that's what i wanted to say and that's how i wanted to say it and i I like that part. I like having that control and it being my story and my vision. So. Oh, yeah, definitely. For anyone who might be listening, who maybe is starting out trying to you know, sell a book, what Pitch Wars is? So Pitch Wars is actually why I'm really big on community um, because I was a mentee. So it's an online mentoring program uh, for emerging writers who don't have agents. And I... I I, I think most people will say it's probably the biggest and most well-known online mentoring program. We've had over 200 success stories, you know, um, with it. Well, probably 300 at this point. It, it started in 2011 by a woman named Brenda Drake. And so what happens is um, a, a more established writer. So, you know, usually they have an agent or, you know, even a book deal will uh, select a uh, emerging writer who doesn't have an agent manuscript. And we spend about three months helping them revise that manuscript for what we call an agent showcase, where we do a, an excerpt of that work and also a pitch. And then agents will come and like agents will clear their schedule as far as showcase. 
and they'll read them and then they'll comment asking for more. And so I was a Pitch Wars mentee in 2014, and that's how I got my agent, Michelle Richter, and Hollywood Homicide actually was a Pitch Wars novel. Wow. You know, and there's so many stories like that of people who, um, who did, I think, Diane Freeman, who won the Agatha in the Lefty the year after I did, so maybe 2019, that was a Pitch Wars novel. Um, Kristen LaPianca was my mentee in 2015, and uh, her book, which won the Shameless, was her Pitch Wars novel. You know, um, Lane Fargo and Hallie Sutton, there are so many people, and especially one thing I'm really proud of, I think in crime fiction, we have a very strong uh, Pitch Wars presence. You know, and I've had, I've had six mentees. They all have agents, you know, and five out of six have book deals, and the one who doesn't have a book deal is the one who... Um, was this last year so she's working on it she's you know writing and rewriting and working with her agent you know so i'm just super proud of, of i believe in it i say we don't we don't just build relations like we, we just don't build careers we build relationships because all my really good friends i met through pitch wars i'm still really good friends with all my mentees you know and it's just an amazing program you know we're just about to um start up this new this new round of it this new class so if you have a book that you anything it could be it's middle grade ya mystery any every genre and you know it's finished and you're not 100 percent sure of how to make it better please look into pitch wars the website's pitchwars.org and submit your book oh awesome because i see what you guys do on twitter and it's super it's always super fun to see i mean the twitter community is amazing and it's amazing we've had i think about 3500 submissions the past two years you know and it's just amazing and people that's like their goal is now to get into pitch wars and they'll write a book knowing when our you know when our our submissions open so they can you know possibly get a mentor well, I, um, and I did want you to talk about it because I feel like what you were talking about when we first began, which was this lack of diversity yeah. in publishing, it's so helpful for people because I think sometimes they look at publishing and they go, oh, I just don't even know. Nice. I don't know how to enter this room yes. and I don't know if they want me in this room. And having yes. a mentee say to them, your story matters. Yes. And I can help you. It's just you. Here's what you need to do to make your book publishable. You know, give you a little hand, helping hand. I think for a lot of a lot of our mentees, like your their mentor is the first non-failing member to believe in them and tell them they're talented. Yeah, wow. you know, and I that's that and it's, it's 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 a lot of work, and you know, and it's stressful. And I always tell my mentor, like my mentees, like say goodbye to your significant other because you're not going to talk to them or see them for three months. They're going to hate. They're, they're going to hate me. You're going to hate me, you know, but it, it's definitely a trial by fire, you know, and I, I, I like to think that, at least with my mentees, they all come out of it, hopefully, learning some skills that will help them throughout their careers. So. Right, right. And teaching them how to pitch and what the what what happens in the business. I think not yeah. knowing is such a is such a powerless place to be. Yeah. Having that, you know, and um, and the other thing when I teach writing that I love to tell people too is you need to stop thinking about agents and editors as these awful mean people who want to say no. Like they love books. Yes. And they want to get to the yes. So you just need to imagine this person who's waiting for your book. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's funny because I think people get so upset about rejections. And I always tell them, I say, you know what? 
you want someone who loves your book oh, yeah. so much because they're going to have to fight for it. Like your agent is going to have to fight for your book with editors. Your editor is going to have to fight for your book within their imprint and make sure you get your best marketing and you get your best, you know, cover and you get your best everything. And you don't want someone who's kind of like, eh, I guess it's cool. You know, you want someone to be like, I love this book. I believe in this book. This book is going to change the world. That's what you want. Yeah. You know, so if someone rejects you, then that's good. That means that they, it's fine because now hopefully you can find that person. Right, right. They did you a favor. They didn't know where to sell it. They didn't know where to sell it. You don't want them. You don't want to waste a year of your life for two years or three years with someone who doesn't know how to sell your book. Right, right. Right. Tell me a little bit. You've talked about how Pitch Wars has helped you help other people. What is Crime Writers of Color? So, um, because of Pitch Wars, I really appreciated the um, idea of a community, you know, and having people who understand where you are because they're going through the same thing. And so one thing I was really surprised about was that there weren't any, there was not a group already of crime writers of color. And so I had, um, someone told me, I think it was like Naomi Hirohara, she was like, you know, Walter Mosley wants to wants to start a group too. And I was like, great, like, how am I going to meet Walter Mosley? Like, I don't just like run into him on the street. And it just so happened, like, maybe like a couple weeks later, I got invited to do a panel with him. And I remember saying to myself, I was like, if I get in a room with Walter Mosley, I'm going to tell him about, I want to start a group, you know, and I already had talked to Gigi Pondian about it too. And she wanted to start, like, we should talk about how we were going to start a group. And so I went and I ran into Walter Mosley and like the first thing I said to him was like I want to start a group and he was like okay well give me your number and he literally called me and we talked about it and um we started it and I think it was I invited everyone I knew Walter invited everyone he knew Gigi invited everyone she knew so I think our initial group was like at least 50 people just because we of people we knew who were crime white as color and now we have over 200 and it's literally people in all areas of their career we, we don't have strict rules as long as you write mysteries and you're a writer of color or even thinking about writing mysteries you can join us and we basically are a safe space to network and support each other and to discuss the unique issues that come with being a writer of color in crime fiction and how, again, do people find you if they want to get involved? Sure. We, it's, we have a website, crimewritersofcolor.com. I think our Twitter and Instagram is crimewoc, you know, so you can always just message us there. And I think our website is crimewritersofcolor. I mean, our email address is crimewritersofcolor at gmail.com. But if you go to the website, and the website's amazing because what happens is our, our members volunteer. So we have a website because someone volunteered to do that. We have a podcast because someone volunteered to do that. We have an Instagram, Twitter, Facebook because people volunteered to do that. We have a books page of a lot of books from a lot of our members because someone volunteered to do that. And so if you go on the site, you can see we have a speakers bureau, a speakers directory. We have a book site with podcasts and we also have a contact us and you just fill out your information and just say who you are and you know what you write and, and, um, and you can join us. It does sound to me a lot about, it does it sound to me very similar to how When Sisters in Crime started? Oh, th- that's our, I think, ultimately our goal that, you know, I, I am a huge, I'm on the board of Sisters in Crime. That was the first organization I joined. I met my first mystery writer friend, friends through Guppies. And I, I've seen like the good work that Sisters in Crime has done. And just to see like now we have like over like, I think 4,000 members and, you know, 
50 plus chapters and I think I would love you know for primaries of color to one day be that big yeah but they're definitely our, our, our goals so. and I think sisters in crime made a lot of um had a lot of impact I think you know what I and this is nothing against MWA because I think they do a really good job but I think that when it comes to issues of diversity and inclusivity Sisters in Crime leads 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 that way you know and like I think we're that the first group that's going to discuss those things and make sure that it's truly an inclusive place for all people you know men and women people who are non-binary people who are trans queer people people of color you know other marginalizations like we're gonna fight for you you know and again that not saying that mwa will not fight for you but you know i think that we're just based on how we were founded like that's super important i think it's part of the original mission and you know and men will say oh well um i can't join and and it's like well do you believe that everyone deserves the same shot at you know a review and a publishing deal then yeah come on in you know it's so funny because lori lori made day who's our current president was like talking about the name you know and it's actually kind of good because it's like if you see sisters in crime and you're offended by that name or you're kind of like how dare you you know like honestly then you're probably not the best person to be in sisters in crime <laughs> it's, it's, it is not just for women it's for men and for women and for you know people who are non-binary it's for we call everyone siblings yeah. you know it, it's it's for anyone as long as you um you know want to help help advance the story of women crime writers you could be any kind of yeah background. thank you so much for spending time with us Thanks for inviting me. And a July hot evening. (laughs) And um, we look forward to when we can conference again and have you back to our city and um, come and see you. So thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly. Well, it was really, really great to catch up with Kelly. Yeah. And um, I don't know when she sleeps. She says she does sleep on her Twitter (laughs) thing. But, I mean, she's... um, She's just carrying a lot of weight, you know, doing a lot of helping other people. It's super inspiring. Yes. It sounds like it's serving on boards and doing this mentoring as well as, of course, writing her own amazing novels. I'm so excited about this forthcoming one. Yeah, I loved hearing how it, she got inspired to write it and then where her inspiration and the, and the, and the factual story separated. Because yes. I think that's a super important part of the process and a thing that yes. some people kind of forget about or they say, oh, I can't do that. Because that didn't happen. That didn't happen. Everyone knows who yep. this person is and they'll say, oh, yeah. Because I, I don't think you can do your own creative story unless yeah, you're able to let go. Like she was very clear about what, yeah. what germ of the real um, historical moment was... Um, useful for her story and then just took it from there and yeah without feeling any obligation to continue as as seductive as research can be <laughs> she jumped into the, the hard work and the fun part of, yeah of creating well once again it's been really lovely to talk to you and um Bye. haven't heard too much about your new book i guess it's still really fresh and fresh yep and wraps at, to, at the moment, but I'm, I am excited about how it's beginning to evolve. I still have to, have to find 
homes for a couple of other projects, yeah. but yeah. yeah. Well, I'm definitely in the revising phase where anything else looks exciting. You know, starting a new book, that sounds really awesome because <laughs> I have problems. My book has problems I still have to solve. <laughs> well, good for you for getting that draft and diving into the revisions. Yeah, yeah, ripping awesome. it apart. Yeah. So um, hopefully we can get together in August and have another guest. And, and hopefully we'll have made progress. <laughs> we'll check back in awesome and I will see you next time alright take care Meredith you too bye bye